0: Thanks for joining us everyone and welcome back. So we're going to talk about some icebergs and penguins, maybe a few little sad tales in between, maybe a little bit of bro and bro action. All right. Shackleton, the man who loved ice a little too much, not the kind you put up your nose. To unpack this epic saga of survival and hardship, we have to understand the man behind this mission, Ernest Shackleton. Born on February 15, 1874, in a quiet corner of County Kildare, Ireland, Shackleton wasn't your typical farmer's son. Potato farmers. Even as a young lad, Shackleton seemed to have a rather peculiar infatuation with the cold. (laughs) He was often found in the town's morgues late at night. L-O-L-J-K. Perhaps Ireland wasn't... White as cold and harsh as you'd like, so this guy sets his sights at some point on going to Antarctica. Shackleton, though, wasn't your standard Edwardian gentleman. You wouldn't find him engaged in that leisurely game of cricket or sipping tea in upscale London. No, Shackleton was more at home navigating icy trains and crossing some of the worst train in the world. Picture him glancing at a world map, his finger unnervingly drawing circles around some of the most inhospitable places in the land and just deciding, got to go here. He was no stranger to the kind of polar region down in Antarctica. He was a Royal Navy officer that had led him on quite a few Antarctic wilderness expeditions. He tasted the frigid winds and maneuvered his way around these treacherous ice flows before, and he wasn't really scared to do it again his plan was to be the first person to traverse antarctica on foot and the whole like i don't think the whole coastline had really been mapped out at that point to the point where they had a real good idea of what was down there these people are some of the first to be or claiming to be some of the first going down the exploration route in Antarctica mapping it out and figuring out what's what probably looking for precious minerals. I hope they didn't find any humans down there because we know what happens when we colonize that there's evidence of, I think the Piri Rees map where I don't know how many years ago, long, long time, long, long time ago before we thought people knew about Antarctica, Antarctica. This is somehow being drawn on maps by this Piri Rees guy. So let's get on with this frozen beach party. Hang on to your nuts and cover up them nips because it's about to get frosty. So, how did this thing start? So, how does one wake up one day and decide they want to go to Antarctica? Turns out they want to fuck a penguin. No, maybe fuck penguins up. Shackleton, though, does have a real thirst for fame and glory and kind of being that famous, cool explorer guy much cooler than the other guys. And that was his intention. So the North pole, everyone had been there, done that. That was fucking old news. South pole is where it's at. So he wants to be the first one to take a selfie after his trans kind of continental expedition down there during his first expedition to Antarctica with Robert Falcon Scott in 1901. He had got a taste for the treacherousness of the, the area So Shackleton sets to work immediately gathering support. So, anyways, Shackleton, like right away, he's out there promoing his thing. He's showing everybody his deck, trying to get them on board. He is really throwing down basically plugging this project about going and crossing the Antarctic shelf and mapping the thing. He will be the first, and he's raising money, he's networking. So he gets a kind of a crew together. He finally gets up enough followers and enough royal money and political backers for the Navy and some do-gooders or rich folks to throw some money his way. So the harrowing journey begins on August 1, 1914 on the bustling dock of Port London. Ernest Shackleton, at the helm of a vessel aptly named the Endurance, is ready to chart course to the icy wilderness of Antarctica. Shackleton, the indefeatable leader, beams with infectious enthusiasm, his eyes sparkling with a dangerous mix of resolve and bravado. Unbeknownst to him, him and his crew are about to embark on the journey of a lifetime. Something that will be etched into the annals of history. (laughs) I'm fucking 12. It's time anyway that we go on to meet a few of Shackleton's kind of crewmates. He had 27 crew members in total, so I don't want to go through every single one, but a few will come into play during our story. So as we do, as we do talk about them, I'll try and paint a little bit of a picture. So the first one up we would have is Frank Wilde. Shackleton's second in command was a rough and ready Yorkshire man. He was unflappable as they come. And he was always a steadfast companion to Shackleton during times of crisis and need. And probably on those lonely nights at sea, roll himself up into a burrito and nothing like a little bit of body warmth. No reason two men can't cuddle, especially on the ocean. Next on the crew is Tom Crean, an Irish sailor with a poker face that could rival any seasoned card shark. He was a veteran of previous Antarctic expeditions, so this guy was no stranger to the harsh realities. So why the fuck are you going on a second one? I I laugh at these guys keep volunteering for these things. I wonder if they weren't outcasts, so to speak, gamblers, pedophiles, those kind of things. Yeah. The one who immortalized the expedition through his lens was Frank Hurley. So there's some cool footage and stuff that's been recovered from the original expedition. It's how this whole thing was documented. We have Harry McNeish. He was a grizzled carpenter, the Jesus type. He was stubborn as his quick temper, but he really, he was always butting heads with Shackleton. But he was also like truly invaluable to the crew, and he played a pivotal role in the survival, actually, of everybody. So he's one of those old-timey, grumpy-ass motherfuckers, but you need him. So the initial leg of the journey is pretty benign. The endurance cuts a path through the temperate waters of the Atlantic. They start heading southwards towards Buenos Aires, Argentina. No, they're not going to the Nazi village. So I wonder if that's where it started. It was here they indulge in the creature comforts of civilization, perhaps for the last time. So there's the very southernmost shipping ports here. And yeah, like maybe the last women once, Gritviken, a bustling whaling station in South Georgia would be their final stop before the Antarctic. Despite its harsh environment with its rugged, mountainous landscape and biting winds, this outpost represented the last vestiges of human civilization they would see. So they decide to lay over in Grietfidden to wait out Antarctic winter. So yeah, it's funny to think as we get into the story they don't operate in terms of days or weeks. They talk these things are in terms of years. These stories go on. So it's like, yeah, we're going to, we get from point A to point B, just winter to order for a year or two, then head on to the next part, stay there for a year. By the time you get home, your family's dead and we'll be talking about them on the fucking podcast. So yeah, that's the cycle folks. However, getting to South Georgia wasn't completely without challenges as Shackleton and his men did prepare to set sail reports began to trickle in from season whalers that the Southern Ocean was breaking up the ice pack and the conditions were unusually dense. So they decide to wait even longer. They're over a here on December 5th, 1914, and the endurance carrying Shackleton and his 27 brave men Breaks through the surging waves, heading straight for the icy Antarctic wilderness. So let's get ready. This is going to be a cool trip, man. Cool, cool. So I don't. there's one thing that kind of like I found interesting in this story, but just to paint a picture, I used to be a fishing guide. And I spent a lot of time in my job and kind of doing that job as well out on um, bigger water and in doing that there's something that becomes eerie and creepy when like you have like a wall of fog surround you and all of a sudden you're completely displaced with no bearing or no ability to tell where shore is and you lose sense of all your you just completely lose sense of direction i definitely feel that story because i can remember that feeling and i can only imagine what One, how brave these guys were, but yeah, how much fear must have been in them throughout the next little bit. So after Gritvian, South Georgia, they sail to the merciless realm of the Weddell Sea. Now here's where things start to go south. Our crew in the Weddell Sea, this is where the, I think it's the edge of the ice pack, this motley crew and Ernest Shackleton's all of a sudden find themselves slicing through more and more, like you can go by icebergs and little pieces and they're starting to go through more and more thicker ice flows. And rather than just being surface ice, they're starting to build up and become thick enough to damage the boat if they're not careful. Boating through an ice pack isn't anything that is new to them and it's not something that you can't do. It's just something that is dangerous. And it can become increasingly dangerous the more dense it gets. So as they try to keep heading back in towards Antarctica, they want to get through this kind of ice flow. Every time they try, same thing happens, it closes in on them. They can't get through the ice flow, surround them. And eventually on one of their last attempts, the ice flows become so dense. They completely encircle the endurance, like I mentioned, but this time they don't leave. And the ship, because now it's been going on so long, the ship ends up freezing into the ice pack and essentially stuck. So this is, you couldn't be in a worse situation for these guys. Not only can this bust up the ship, it's not like this is good ice. If the ship just busts up, you can just be like chilling on the ice till someone comes and gets you. Like you're pretty much like every second you're breathing out there is just on luck. So they try to break this thing free for days and they're chipping at it. They're heating it. They're doing everything they can. And they're just praying that the ice doesn't crush their ship. We'll explain that a bit more. So they're trying to break this three free for days, which that turns into weeks. And now this turns into months. So they've already, they've already been on the road for almost a year, so to speak. And now the end of the Antarctic summer closes in the winter, starts to deepen completely on them. And essentially, this thing is getting the ice is starting to build up around it. And there's just things like pressure cracks that kind of start pushing up against the boat. So the men who were able to stay in the boat can start to hear this thing like whining and screaming and groaning. And They're, at this point, they're terribly like this thing's fucking going and sure enough, so they start piling all their food. They had a bunch of sled dogs, all that stuff. They start piling it all out of the boat and into the lifeboats that they had. And so this is the main ship, the endurance. And finally the ice just crushes the entire hull and just like that, the thing like slips down below the ice never to be seen from again, like. Luckily, some of the pictures and journals were kept, but some of them were lost and I don't think they've ever been found to this day. So all of a sudden, these guys find themselves completely abandoned in like one of the most inhospitable environments on earth. Like not only are you stuck in Antarctica in the middle of the fucking cold, you're not even on land. You're stuck on an ice floe and you have zero hope of rescue so they make the best of it they can they have these like big boats and one of the things that was two things happened that that were sad one they had a bunch of pet dogs with them which is like amazing right but as the kind of time went on they had to start killing them because they couldn't no longer feed the for the afford to feed the dogs so yeah like that sucks luckily when they're out there they do find that as they could find penguins, the penguins are really stupid because they didn't have a lot of predators. So this became like the primary source of meat. These guys are just sitting out there like a bunch of gooses hunting down penguins. And yeah, the grim realities do start to contend with them though. But because penguins, like anything, they come and go and the food supply is completely d- dwindle. They end up having to turn to eating the dogs. And so the last of the pets that they have end up being it's a pretty sad story actually i don't want to get into it that much because the poor pups but they yeah they ended up having to eat the dogs and i mean that it is what it is so they eat these dogs they've been stuck out on this ice pack and just explain like the remoteness so they can see land like they're in like they're in the middle of north and they can't see anything they're frozen in now they've got just a couple i think 27 foot lifeboats with them or maybe 22 foot They're not that big, but it's enough that you can pack some supplies and have a bit of a shelter with the tents and the things they have. But the other thing that started to fuck with the people is that this is so monotonous, they're just sitting out there for weeks, months, not just exhausted, starving, they're confined to not being able to go anywhere because they're stuck on the ice. The journals from the endurance became a lifeline for people to document their struggles. But Shackleton, like this is one of the coolest things and it's truly admirable. Somehow this stalwart leader, he knows the importance of morale and he he keeps these guys together. He keeps them grounded. He instigates like things like playing football games, concerts, even setting up some like celebratory feasts in the middle of an ice floe, and doing all these things just to keep like people sane. So like he's going through his crazy own struggles. And he's just, he keeps his shit together to keep the group together, so to speak. So shelter did come in the form. It was three lifeboats and an assortment of tents and makeshift windbreaks built from salvaged material from the Endurance. The boats, the James Caird, the Dudley Docker, and the Stancombe Willis provided some protection from the freezing winds, but the conditions were cramped, wet, and extremely cold. Luckily, their unbreakable sense of camaraderie really kept these guys together. And they truly believe like they're going to figure this out one way or the other. As the months wear on, the other thing starts to become apparent to them. The ice is going to come on the other end of the seasons and the ice is going to start breaking up. So they're stuck out now in the middle of the ocean. And the problem is if they end up in that, those little little smaller boats are probably going to get destroyed. But the chances of also being able to get in those boats and navigate their way anywhere is so unlikely because they're going to be in the ice flows. Like they'll probably, essentially they're probably just going to get stuck in the ice flows, more more or less likely sink. And they're about to be in an even way more precarious situation if they don't get the fuck out of there. Yeah. So I can't imagine how terrifying this must have been. 27 men a couple small boats that will never hold enough food or supplies for anybody. And you're in the middle of a breaking, a soon to be breaking up ice pack. So this is terrifying. So the men get together a plan and decide that they're going to head to, so these guys know they're done for. So they figure this elephant island is probably their best chance of survival where they can actually make it to land and also be somewhere they can be rescued so they may start making this journey of 556 kilometers across the ice and they take these three boats like turn them into sledges or sleighs and these things don't move easy these aren't little yeah these guys are working their fucking asses off every day to move these boats but the thing is they can't leave the boats because in a given moment they might be facing ice breaking up and there's also no way in, there's no way to get any supplies. There's no resources on the ice. There's no way for them to get new wood. There's no way for them to get new food outside of penguins if something breaks. So they got to take that camp with them. It's the only way for them to live. Gonna die in style everyone. So they were able, like among the supplies, to save the journals and photos, as I mentioned before, but not all of them. Food becomes a constant concern, like along the journey. So they're hunting as they can. They're eating the last of their supplies from the penguins and the dogs. And eventually, like, I think, I don't, can't remember if they ended up having dogs still left at this point, but I know this is the point where like. They're running out of the last of any of their food. So there definitely wouldn't have been dogs at a certain point. So they're doing this for weeks and they're drifting on the ice flows and trying to get to sections where they can launch their lifeboats in where the ice breaks up. So yeah, like they're puddle jumping from ice flow to ice flow, crossing the water. But times they're being swept up into storms and almost dying. I think at one point the crew did get separated so eventually, they keep keep just leapfrogging along the ice as far as they can until they can finally see these rocks like creeping up out on the horizon. So here they are. They're just giving her and giving her across the ice. And the place that they're going to, this is the other thing. Elfland Island is not exactly like a paradise. It's a barren outcrop of rocks and ice located on the outer regions of the South Shetlands. It's a completely inhospitable place, devoid of vegetation and essentially just rocks and wind. So the only real advantage of being there is that it's not going to break up and melt on them. Other than that, they're still going to be in the same boat, but they're going to stand a chance and give them the chance to regroup and try again. So... They continue onward and eventually make it on April 15, 1916. More than a year after spending being spent on a frozen ice pack in the wilderness with his crew. I can't fucking believe a year on the ice. I said he was fucking penguins. I guarantee it. This is a fact. I think that's in the history books. If it's not, I think we should tell them to put it in. So. This barren, rocky outcrop located around 250 miles from Antarctic mainland is, this is the only land they've seen in now 16 months since they've left South Georgia. So yeah, 16 months without even seeing land. So this is the first rocks they see. The call to Elephant Island was inhospitable. Calling, in a, calling it inhospitable would be an understatement. It was a frigid, windswept wasteland devoid of any signs of life. The Jagat coastline was lashed constantly by waves, making it almost impossible to set up any kind of shelter. They essentially only got a temporary respite from the dangers of the open sea. Like they get there and they're like, there's nothing here. And in some ways they were, they couldn't even build a fire because of the crazy harsh conditions. Anyway. Nevertheless, the crew does manage to make the best of this situation after a little while. They were able to take some lifeboats, flip them over, and make a makeshift shelter out of it, just enough to at least keep their spirits alive and keep them from dying. So they huddled in their makeshift shelters, protecting themselves from the bitter cold and blasting winds. They clung onto each other in the hope that they would soon be rescued. But as the days turned to weeks, no sign of any rescue party started to appear. So their hope being that the whaling, the whalers that were gonna start heading this way with the breaking up ice are gonna notice them. It would have been funny if they caught them all cuddled up like that. That would be cute. I bet you those pictures didn't make it back though. Take a picture, boys. So they're waiting and waiting. Like the, there's no food for them there. They can barely sustain like heat. They can barely sustain like keeping dry with the little bit of shelters they have. So Shackleton decides he's gonna put together a kind of a Hail Mary of a plan. So at this point, I think Tom Crean, a guy named Frank Worsley, Timmy McCarthy, Harry McNeish, and John Vincent, along with Shackleton. Decide they're going to grab one of the small boats the James cared and sail, it's a rowboat, sail 800 miles across the trip. or sorry, row, sail, it's like a small, It's a, I don't know if it would be called a skiff, but yeah, small little sail rowboat thing, 800 miles across the ocean to South Georgia. Yeah, open ocean in, well, as you've already seen, like really shitty conditions. So that's just, they'll take a little bit of a trek and they're going to pack up some penguin jerky and hit the open seas. Actually, truly, like, I think everyone thought the I, this was truly suicidal, but I think Shackleton probably knew he had to do something. I think one of the crew members had already almost died of, like, a heart attack, and people were just, it was the end for them. And even if it was a suicide mission, I think he probably knew that it might keep the guy, some of the guys alive a little bit longer, just thinking that, for the next weeks, months, whatever, that there is some type of hope out there. So Shackleton, along with the volunteers, begins out on a pretty much insane voyage. Like, or more insane voyage like than it already, yeah, more insane, believe it or not. So April 24, 1916, they are back on the road again in a small 22 and a half foot lifeboat named the James Caird. They modified it with the remains of the other two boats and set sail from the desolate shores of Elephant Island. So that's it. They broke up the other boats to make one makeshift boat, and this is their only hope. Shackleton's plan was nothing short of audacious. And it was, yeah, this was going to be a luxury cruise. So for over two weeks, they battled monstrous waves, biting cold and howling wind. Their tiny lifeboat tossed around the wrath of the Southern Ocean. The men endured freezing conditions soaked to the skin with seawater and the constant risk of capsizing. So they're like literally huddling up, taking turns huddling in the bottom of the boat. There's always somebody bailing water. Like this is a 24-7. People aren't, they're not sleeping and they're They'll take literally short breaks of laying down in cold, freezing water. It, They would kind of have these caribou skins. I think they were caribou skins and they would cover up themselves to get a little bit of heat and shelter at certain times of the day. But it was truly just never living through frozen hell and breaking, constantly having to break ice off the boat. It was fucking shit. So they got these small rations. They're running out of meat. They've got near the hypothermia, and not to mention this boat's probably falling apart at this point, they are having a lot of trouble being able to calculate their position, like a dead wrecking where they are because they've lost sight of the sun with the clouds. So there's no, now they're at the part of, now they're literally floating hopelessly in the ocean, hoping something changes for their changes for them shackleton writes at one point we were a tiny speck in the vast vista of the sea the ocean that is open to all but inconquerable they felt completely out of their element like completely pushed to their limits their hands were blistered from roaring rowing frostbitten their bodies were emaciated and starved But somehow their spirit wasn't broken. So against all odds, and after 16 days of battling the Unforgiven Sea, the jagged snow-covered peaks of South Georgia emerged from the sea mist. But the sight of land was not the end of their tribulations. If anything, it was the beginning of a new challenge. (laughs) The Tide Pod Challenge. <laughs> We're going to get into the how shitty of a journey it was for Shackleton. Up to this point, and it's about to get a little bit worse as usual in his case. So, these guys have already defied the impossible. They survived on ice flow for a year. Crossed like a 500 miles of pack ice on, with rowboats and pushed them across. And now just made another 800 mile journey across the ocean in a shitty little boat. So they get to South Georgia Island. And after surviving that voyage, there's nothing more they can wait to get themselves into a nice warm bed beside a fire. Oh, but they were quickly handed a real harsh dose of fucking reality. They found themselves on a uninhabited and utterly remote southern coast of the island, completely on the wrong side. And not like back in those days, there's other towns I can go to. They're just like, fuck, man, what do we do now? In this case, the town was actually in like on some glaciers and mountains. So like walking across land wasn't going to just be like it was a mountaineering expedition. Literally, that is exactly what it was. They did draw straws to see who's going to get the honor of the next suicide mission. The equipment that they had, an adze which is like an axe, a length of Alpine rope, and a couple of screws from the James card that could be used as makeshift crampons for the ice climbing, like literally having to s- scale up and down ice faces, The journey across this rugged landscape was a 36-hour non-stop trek through rough terrain, freezing temperatures, and blizzards. They had to traverse steep slopes and crevice-riddled glaciers, navigating their way down slippery icefalls, all while dealing with the snow blindness, dehydration, and exhaustion of being at sea for the months before. They had no map, and the way ahead was unknown. They... I think, yeah, so Shackleton and Worley's navigation through here is proving critical because I think it was, yeah, he's the one that ended up being the one that figured out how to get from point A to point B through this glacier mountain pass and basically saves a day. So go Worsley. And they finally reached the whaling station of Stromness on May 20, 1916. I'm sure on both sides of this story, like the men in Stromness Station were probably just fucking happy to see somebody too. I'm sure it's lonely. And these guys come out looking like zombies. They definitely look like the castaways they were. But right away, like Shackleton's man, there's no time for a victory lap. And he was determined to rescue these guys. Now imagine a small group of men huddled in a makeshift shelter crafted from the remaining life bolts insulated with a few canvas tents their meals only consisting of seal and penguin meat the occasional treat of seaweed and limpets scraped from the rocks their survival depends on maintaining supply of blubber and heat staying dry and battling the constant threat of scurvy and frostbite so yeah that's a good point to mention there's no wood to burn they have to basically burn the blubber so without that they get cold hairy chippy McNeish. He uses his skills to improve the living conditions a bit for the guys. He makes a little makeshift chimney for the stove and adds a little bit of extra insulation to the boat shelter. Sounds so stupid, right? But the gravity of something like that in their situation was the entire world to them. That was their new iPhone or whatever you get, like a the new Cardi B video or something. Like, That was their entire world. So after they watch these guys sail off, days turn into weeks and then months. And eventually they just figure that's it. They are going to die. They don't see any sign of a rescue ship. They don't see any sign of Shackleton's return. If I think it starts to go through their head, like there's a chance he may just get rescued and there may no be, may not be a rescue mission depending on, How brave they feel. Shackleton is battling his own demons. He made three attempts to get back to the men and was thwarted by the pack ice. But he was not going to give up. His resolve was unbreakable. And the Antarctic ice was formidable, but not as much as this dude. Finally, on August 30th, 1916, four months after he set sail and left these guys who had been waiting so long for their little daddy to return, Shackleton is aboard the ship, the Chilean ship, the Yelcho, and he takes it right to Elephant Island. It's an emotional reunion, and like, he can't believe when he gets there, every last one of them is alive. Every last one of them that left on the rowboat is alive as well. They're a bunch of live guys. Cool, eh? So, against all odds, these guys get their shit up, packed up. They get on a boat and this time to head home. Okay. So our fellas step foot on the soil of England back in the spring of 1917. So it's may the guys return as heroes and sodomites and they're welcomed by throngs of cheering crowds and confetti showers, mostly family members. There wasn't like a huge like media fanfare or anything these guys returned home to actually the great war raging. So the world had completely changed in the years that they were gone. And some of their loved ones didn't even recognize what they looked like. They, the crew members have come back from the brink of having survived what was one of, the worst exp, like one of the worst feats Mother Nature could really just throw at you. I can't imagine there being much more harder than that there's being stuck and lost in the wilderness, but then they're just being stuck and lost on a piece of ice in the middle of the ocean. So the indomitable leader was among the survivors of this, or I guess they're all survivors of this ordeal, but in the aftermath of it all, Shackleton goes on to do a little bit of some tours. He does the old press tour, giving some lectures at universities probably crushing a little bit of strange along the way and doing his thing and he decides that kind of life is not for him so he dares to go on venture again he defies the odds once he defies the odds twice so he's going to go back to Antarctica and see what's up he had been 40 years old at the time of his expedition with the men and just a not even seven years later, he's going again. And on January 5th, 1922, he's chilling out there in South Georgia Island and he keels over a fucking heart attack in the harbor. Not dying on an ice floe, not getting mauled by penguins, not getting shot by pirates, killed by mermaids. He got to pass away surrounded by beautiful scenery. He did die in a boat, just was not quite at sea. He was at harbor. Shackleton was buried in Girtzkin, South Georgia, a place that held special significance for him. It was from here that he had set sail in the Endurance, brimming with optimism for his ambitious endeavor. It was here that he had landed after his narrowing journey from Elephant Island, and a feat of survival in this story ends right at South Georgia Island. So he's laid to rest. I'm sure it's still there. I'm sure his little skeleton bones are in there somewhere, unless somebody stole them. So some of the crew members went on to live some pretty cool lives, Harry Chippy McNeese, the guy that fixed the boat, he went on to die, die in relative obscurity. But from what I could tell, this guy had a cat when he was on the boat and now there's a cat statue that adorns his grave in New Zealand, which is a little homage to their little Adventure together. What's truly astonishing though is that it was the way Shackleton's leadership, as you read through like history, like the way because you see so many of these voyages fall apart. Like he did the impossible and kept his crew together. The entire crew, 28, including Shackleton, survived the two year ordeal in the harshest environment of Earth is truly nothing short of miraculous it's just such a resilience and perseverance and so often it's mother nature the story is man loses and this is out of sheer luck i don't know and sheer leadership they made it through so cool story bro so please give us a follow and whatever wherever you're listening to us Please join us on Twitter or please email us. You can see the information in the episode description. I'm getting a Patreon page up and running. I'm going to be trying to set up as much of it as free as possible. It's just that I'm going to be releasing some bonus content at some point. I truly appreciate you and look forward to bringing you some more on Israel Keys in the near future. And we're going to start getting into some funnier and funnier stories every week